Now, I was privileged, like many of the children in this church, to be raised in a Christian home where God's word was prioritized, um, where church was an essential part of my life, where my parents regularly encouraged me to follow the Lord. But as I got older, into my teenage years, uh, I faced many new temptations. By the time I went to college, I also had the freedom to do whatever I wanted. And with these new temptations and new freedoms and new pressures that come at this age of life, I came to a crossroads in my life. Would I choose the way of my godly parents or the way of the world? Now, unfortunately, the temptations and worldly pleasures were too tempting for me. And my sin in those years of college were devastating. Not only for my own life, but even in the lives of others. Now, could my situation have been avoided? Well, maybe. Maybe if I had applied this passage that is before us to my life. Maybe it could have been avoided. Our text this morning gives us a window into an urgent conversation between a father and a son. On the one hand, this passage is narrowly focused on parents helping their children navigate the sinful world. But in its broader application, this passage warns all of us to avoid the way of the wicked, which will ultimately lead to destruction. The father's message to his son in this passage can be summarized by this big idea in today's sermon. The wisdom of godly parents is a means by which God protects and preserves his children. The wisdom of godly parents is a means by which God protects and preserves his children. I have three points this morning to help us understand the meaning of this text and apply it to all of our lives. So first, we will look at the way of wisdom leads to blessing. Second, we'll look at the way of the wicked is tempting. And third and finally, the way of the wicked will perish. So let's start with our first point. The way of wisdom leads to blessing. Verse 8 says this, hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. As we mentioned in the first sermon in the series of Proverbs, this book is primarily written from the perspective of a father to his son. The word son is used 60 times in the book of Proverbs. And the phrase my son is used 23 times. And especially in this first nine chapters, there is a unique emphasis on the father-son relationship. Now why is that, you might ask? And I think this is just helpful for context. It's likely for a couple of reasons. First of all, the son was the one who would assume the leadership role in his family once his father died. So it was important for the father to fulfill his responsibility in teaching the values that shaped the family's identity. Now in this case, Solomon wants to pass on the family identity that is characterized by fearing the Lord. That was verse 7. 
Now, another possible reason for the focus on the father-son relationship in Proverbs is because Solomon needs to prepare his son to take his place as king in Israel. So it was critical for him to teach his son the way of wisdom and the fear of the Lord so that he would one day be a wise ruler over God's people in Israel. Now, let's come back to verse 8. In verse 8 here, we see that Solomon has something urgent to teach his son. It's likely that his son is on the verge of entering adulthood. And you can picture him bringing his son into the room and saying, son, take a seat right here. We need to have a talk. If you remember in verse 4, we mentioned a few weeks ago that one of the primary audiences in this book are youth. Young people who need to be instructed in the way of wisdom to prepare them for this dangerous world we live in. In this verse, we see Solomon is calling his son to listen to the voice of wisdom from his parents. So let's just make a couple of observations from this verse. First, we see that the father takes initiative in the spiritual instruction at home. The father takes initiative in the spiritual instruction at home. The father is seen here approaching his son. He, he's the one that starts the conversation. He says, listen to what your mom and I have to say. Now the scriptures teach that there is a particular emphasis in the father's role in teaching, exhorting, disciplining, and instructing their children in the Lord. Not that the mother is not involved, as we're going to see here shortly, but there's a particular emphasis on the father bearing the primary responsibility for the spiritual temperature, the spiritual climate in the home. Ephesians 6.4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, as many of us fathers are prone to, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice that this command is given specifically to the father to bring up his children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In Hebrews 12, another example, we see the author describing how God disciplines his children compared to how a father disciplines his children. So let me speak to dads here and to myself here as well as a new dad. How are you doing in taking initiative in leading your home spiritually? However imperfectly, are you initiating purposeful spiritual conversations with your children? Do your children see you as one that they can come to to discuss spiritual matters, to ask you questions about life? Now, I am so thankful for the wonderful examples we have in this church. And I'm thankful for those of us who had godly fathers who instructed us when we were young. On the other hand, our culture underestimates the value of fatherhood. The statistics are shockingly clear on fatherhood. When the father is absent in the home... Children are more likely to end up in poverty, end up having behavioral problems, end up abusing drugs, alcohol, may get pregnant before getting married. Not only that, but when the father is not present, the family crumbles 
and in turn, society begins to crumble as well. Now, on the other hand, when the father is present at home, and especially when the father is spiritually leading his family, the children are blessed. And these blessings flow from the family into society. So dads, we must take seriously this God-given privilege and responsibility to teach our children about God and his will for their lives. The second thing we can observe from this verse is that both the father and the mother are critical to teaching their children about God. Verse 8, Solomon pleads with his son, do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now, while the primary responsibility falls on the father, here we see that the mother is also a significant part of the equation. She is just as involved in teaching her children about God. Now, according to God's design in marriage, both the father and the mother have been given the privilege and responsibility to be the primary influence in the lives of their children. Now, our culture strongly disagrees with the importance of both a father and a mother's role in raising children as well. Now, the very definition of family has been changing in our culture to the point where now you can have two dads or you can have multiple moms. And who knows what else? The rise in reproductive technologies and surrogacy are also rapidly distorting God's design for the family. We see in scripture from the beginning, it has always been God's good design for one man and one woman for life to be joined together in co-laboring to fulfill God's main ba- mandate to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. Now, I realize I am describing an ideal situation according to God's design A godly father, a godly mother, united in marriage, seeking to raise godly children. But we know from reality that that is not the norm in many homes. And it may not be the norm in your life as well. Maybe you did not come from a home where you had a father and mother. Maybe you were instead raised by a godly single mother. Or maybe neither. Maybe your father was home, but he was absent spiritually. Maybe you're a mother who did not have a godly husband who fears the Lord. In fact, he was a tyrant and you were left to raise your children yourself. In a fallen world, these situations abound. And there are many situations like this that do not fit what God intends for the family. But if that's you this morning, let me encourage you and remind you of something. Where the ideal is not present in your life, God's grace abounds. The Lord can work in and through broken situations to bring about his good purposes in your life. And my prayer is that this church would be filled with spiritual fathers and mothers who are investing spiritually, not only in the lives of their own children, but also in the lives of other children. In the family of God, we all have godly fathers and mothers who are pursuing the Lord. And we all have children who need other godly men and women to speak into their lives. Now the third thing to observe from this verse is this. 
children are called to listen and obey their parents. So children, let me talk to you again, children and youth. Now Solomon calls his son here to listen and obey the teaching of his parents. Now this is obvious, but let me speak to you children again for a moment. If you're, wa- if you're sleeping, you can wake up here for the next two minutes, okay? The, pi- the Bible tells us how children ought to relate to their parents. Your parents might have already told you this, but let me remind you again. Exodus 20.12 says, honor your father and your mother. Colossians 3.20 says, children, obey your parents in everything. Why? For this pleases the Lord. That was our kids' lesson this morning. So children, young person, young woman, young man, you are called by God to honor your parents and to obey them. You're not called to obey them because they are perfect. They are not, and hopefully they admit that to you. You are called to honor and obey your parents because it pleases the Lord. And that should be motivation enough to honor and obey them. Now, children, I know our culture and maybe your friends, if you're older, want you to think that your parents are unreasonable or they expect too much or they're old-fashioned and they don't understand the way of this world. But the reality is that your parents, especially if they're seeking to honor God, are a gift from God to guide you, to protect you, and to help you. Okay. Now, children, let's look at the next verse. Let's see the blessing that is promised to children who listen to and follow the wisdom from their parents. Verse 9 says this. For they, it's talking about the instruction of the parents, the instruction of the parents are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now, Solomon uses two metaphors here, a garland for your head and a pendant on your neck. Now these are both symbols of honor and grace that mark the life of children who follow the wisdom of their parents. Now think of the victor's wreath given to Olympic winners on their head and medals around their neck. And just as these athletes are honored before others, children who follow the godly wisdom of their parents become a beautiful testimony to God's grace and bring him much glory. Now, one of the reasons Solomon wants his son to listen to his parents' teaching is because he knows that the way of wicked, the way of the wicked is tempting. And that's our second point. The way of the wicked is tempting. Let's look at verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, if they tempt you, do not consent. Don't give in if they tempt you. So who are these sinners that Solomon is speaking of here? First, we must understand that everyone is a sinner according to the scriptures. Not only that, but the father speaking here is a sinner himself as we know very well from Solomon's life. But the sinners in view here are those who make sinning their habit. They are those who do not fear God and are bent on persuading others to live as if God does not exist and that there are no consequences for our actions. Now, let me make a couple of observations from 
this verse, verse 10. First, parents must have proactive, intentional conversations with their children. Notice the intentionality of Solomon in bringing up serious and even difficult conversations with his son. He is proactive. He is not waiting for his son to fall into sin, but he is intentional about bringing up these topics with him way before they happen. So parents, are you having these conversations with your children? If you are not, the voice of sinners will always be calling out to your children. There are very important conversations that you know you need to have with your children. Obviously, the most important is the gospel, that they might know Christ. But on top of that, you need to have important conversations with your children as they get older. Conversations about gender and sexuality, about what it means to have godly friendships, to teach them about working hard to glorify God, to take responsibility to serve others in the church, and maybe one day what it means to be in a godly relationship that honors the Lord. These are all important, intentional conversations that parents need to have with their children. Now let's continue with verse 11 and listen to what these sinners are tempting that would tempt his son with. If the sinners say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit. Then we shall all find precious goods. And we shall fill our houses with plunder. Come on, throw your lot among us. And we will all have one purse. The temptations that Solomon is warning his son about are murder, greed, and trying to find acceptance in the wrong crowd. Now, the temptations facing your children might be very different than these. But the principle here is the same. And it is this. Parents must be experts in understanding the temptations facing their children. Parents must be experts in understanding the temptations facing their children. Solomon is an expert here in the temptations his son is going to face one day. Now this could be because of his own experience or it could be because he just knows his son personally and knows the specific ways in which his son might be prone to being tempted. Not only does Solomon know these temptations... But he also exposes these lies and he debunks them. This is the role of parents in the lives of their children. So dads and moms, again, let me ask you, are you aware of the unique temptations facing each of your children? Now obviously, temptations are going to differ uh, according to age. But as children get older, especially in their teenage years, the temptations will become relentless. So are you aware of the temptations that come with phones, with social media, with the friends that they surround themselves with? Parents ought to be experts in these temptations and warning their children about them. 
Now, the advice from the father to his son is becoming clearer. He has already told him that the way of wisdom leads to blessing, and he has told him now that the way of the wicked is tempting. Now, to finally convince his son to listen to his parents instead of the sinners, the father warns his son that the way of the wicked will ultimately perish. And this is our third point. The way of the wicked will perish. Let's look at verse 15 and 16. My son, do not walk in the way with them, the sinners. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Now, if you're familiar with Psalm 1, you can almost see the parallels here with Psalm 1 and verse 15 and 16. Psalm 1 tells us that blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners. Here the father says, do not walk with these wicked men. Hold back your feet from them because they run towards evil. And just like in Psalm 1, the Father here warns that the way of the wicked will perish. Let's look at verses 17 through 19. For in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Now the father here, this is a little confusing verse, but it's a really brilliant picture. The father gives his son a picture of how even a bird is smarter than the wicked. Solomon says that it doesn't make sense to set a trap in front of a bird because the bird will see you and know how to avoid it, right? But the wicked are so foolish because by pursuing their evil plans, they are actually setting a trap for themselves. And they will eventually be trapped by their own traps. Do you see the irony here? This reminds me of the cartoon Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner. Now, if you know this cartoon, Coyote is dedicated to trapping Roadrunner and comes up with unique ways, a new way in every episode to capture him. But every trap that he sets for the Roadrunner ends up backfiring and becomes a trap for himself. Now, it's kind of funny when you watch this, but when I watch it, I'm like, how dumb can you be? Think this through. Look behind you. Can't you be more careful to avoid the same trap over and over? But this is exactly what happens to those who oppose God's ways, and especially those who oppose God's ways and take advantage of others. They intend to trap others, but eventually they themselves are trapped by their very own traps. This is a vivid picture of what happens when a young man who follows the way of the wicked, but isn't it also a picture of how temptation works in each of our lives? We sense the allurement of sin. We are drawn to it. We feel like we can enjoy it and get away with it. We feel like no one will know and we'll be safe. 
but no sin can remain hidden. Ultimately, we will be trapped by it if we do not walk away from it. A bird here in this picture can see a trap in front of it and avoid it, but children are not so smart. Children need parents to teach them about the trappings of this world and to help them walk in the paths of wisdom. Now, the burden of this text is one that is focused on the responsibility of parents in helping their children to walk in the paths of wisdom. And it's also on the responsibility of children in listening to and following the godly wisdom of their parents. But if you're like me, there are significant ways in which you fall short as a parent and even as a child. I find myself in both those categories, falling short as a father and as a son. So children and adults, all of you in here, we all fall short of God's good design in the family. And this is why we desperately need the gospel. You see, the earthly pictures of fathers and sons points to something else. It points to the ultimate reality of our heavenly father and his only begotten son. Unlike human father-son relationships, which are marred by sin, our heavenly father's relationship with his son Jesus is characterized by perfection, love, and eternal joy. And because of the perfect, joyful love that exi existed in eternity between the father and the son, God chose to create humans in his image to participate in this fellowship with him. But unfortunately, because of our sin and rejection of God, we became enemies of God and rightly under his judgment. Thankfully, where sin abounded, God's grace abounded all the more. God's grace abounded to the point where the eternal love that existed between the Father and the Son overflowed to the point where the Father sent the Son on a rescue mission to seek and save his enemies. Jesus, the Son of God, took on a human nature and he was born as a child. And as a child, he perfectly obeyed the will of his heavenly Father. And not only that, but Luke tells us that Jesus was obedient. He was submissive to his earthly parents as well. Think about this. His parents were imperfect and sinful. Jesus was perfect. Yet he honored them and submitted to their authority. This is because he was ultimately obeying God, his heavenly father. And he did this so that he could become the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of sinful fathers and sinful children who trust in him. Now that we who have been redeemed in Christ, now we have the joy and privilege of experiencing this never-ending fellowship from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Now let me just conclude with a few points of application. I want to talk to children, I want to talk to parents, and I do want to talk to everyone else in this room as well. So children, I hope you are seeing how obeying your parents is not just about obeying them ultimately. It's about obeying God. And I hope you can see that 
If your parents are honoring the Lord and seeking to follow him, that they have been given as a gift to you. And I know that might be hard to see, but I hope you know that. So children, let me just give you a couple things that you might do. Maybe you need to ask your parents for forgiveness. Maybe you just need to thank them for pointing you to Christ. Or maybe if you're struggling, you just need to acknowledge that to them and have a conversation with them about it. Now, parents, I know that all of you parents in here, that your desire is that your children would know and follow the Lord. And ultimately, it is God who saves your children and not your efforts. But God uses means. And God has ordained that parents be the primary means through which children can come to know and follow Jesus. So your efforts are not in vain. Fathers, let me encourage you again. If having intentional spiritual conversations with your children is something you have not prioritized, you need to ask the Lord to forgive you. You may even need to ask your wife and children to forgive you. And pray that the Lord would help you prioritize God's word and his wisdom in your home. This means praying with your children. This means reading God's word with them. This means asking your children how they are thinking and processing things that they are learning at school, learning from their friends, and what they're being influenced by on social media. Mothers, you are extremely critical to this effort as well. You are partners with your husband in training your children. So encourage him and pray for your husband as he strives to lead, however imperfectly. Many young moms here in our church who are in a season of homeschooling their children. What a wonderful privilege you have to spend time with your children in these early years to shape and influence their character. I thank God for your example to me. I pray that even in the midst of what might feel mundane and repetitive, each and every single day that you would see the end goal of teaching them to know the fear of the Lord and walk in his ways. And I hope that would encourage you on those difficult days. Now for parents who may be in a difficult season with your children, maybe your children are adults and have left the home, or maybe they're not following the Lord any longer the devil wants you to give up hope. He does. As long as your children are alive, do not give up hope. Even if you feel like your children are not listening to the voice of wisdom, continue to pray for them. Continue to persevere through this difficult season with your hope resting not on your efforts, but in our God who is mighty to save. Now let me speak to everyone else in this room. Now, you might not be in a season of parenting, but there is something in this passage for each and every one of us here. You might be a grandparent with grown-up kids, or you might be a single person in the church, or you might be a couple who is in a season of waiting for a child. When it comes to God's family in the church, the, ta the task of spiritual parenting is for everyone 
and that task never ends. In the church, we have been brought into a new family with brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. Our church is filled with mature fathers and mothers, older moms and dads. Let me just speak to you for a moment. Let me just tell you how much the younger parents desperately need you in this church. We need your wisdom. We need your encouragement. We need your prayers. We need you to help us when it feels like our boat is sinking. So let me plead with you. Ask younger parents in this church how you can pray for them. How you can encourage them. I know they desperately need you. I know me and Jency need you as well. Now let me speak to young parents. Just because you are a father and mother, I'm talking to myself as well, it does not automatically make you wise, okay? You should know that. I know that. But if you are growing in the fear of the Lord personally and reflecting that in your marriage, that is the foundation of parenting. We talked about that last week. But not only that, let me encourage younger parents, we must pursue godly wisdom from the older parents in this church. It is not just up to them to pursue us. We need to pursue them as well. I know some older moms in this church that were a critical lifeline to my wife this past year as we entered into a challenging season as new parents. So young parents, ask the Lord who you could seek wisdom from in the church, who you could pursue for godly wisdom in your parenting. The older moms and dads are gifts from the Lord to encourage us and give us godly counsel. Amen? Hopefully those points of application are an encouragement to you.